welcome back to another episode of Opera Omnia, the podcast that looks at the entire filmography of a director during one dedicated season, going through them chronologically and dissecting the ins, the outs, the goods, the bads and everything in between. Joining me for this entire first season looking at the filmography of the great and powerful Ben Wheatley is of course my near and dear friend, a man that through every podcast I feel that I am growing more attached to and uh, some weird sort of Cronenbergian <laughs> way. Um, and truth be told, we've just recorded another episode on the podcast Under the Stairs where we may have talked about our testicles being wrapped together. I don't know what that means in a context that sounds a whole lot kinkier than it was in the discussion. It is, of course, my good friend, Mr. Watson. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> they're, they're, buddy, I'm, I'm great. And they're, yes, folks, there definitely was some testicle binding talk on our the episode we just did on the podcast Under the Stairs mm-hmm. uh, dealing with the uh, the the final film in the fran the, uh, the the phantasm franchise. That's a little bit of a tongue twister, Duncan. But buddy, <laughs> I am happy to be back uh, here at you know Opera Omnia, man. Episode six of the show, and man, it feels like June was such a just a circus. Did we get an Opera Omnia in that month? Um, maybe at the very beginning or uh, yes, end did. of May. We did. We did. Okay. We did. Yeah. Well, cool. Weirdly, we did. Um, so wow. I think we I think we just tipped in at the beginning, which was technically the hangover from me. Uh, so there wasn't a new episode out in June, but I think there was an episode out in June. And that's primarily gotcha. down to the fact that you have dedicated what can only be described as about nine hours of your time to record stuff <laughs> for podcasts under the stairs in the form of two episodes, nine hours by the way, two episodes for the Summer Teapot's Top 10 series, which requires you to watch a total of 20 movies. So, <laughs> back <Yeah>. off, listeners. <laughs> but yeah, here we are, back on Opera Omnia, man, discussing Free Fire 2016. And, uh, you know, this was a first time watch for me, Duncan. I did. Now, this is interesting because yeah. this is obviously, once again, breaking down the, the recording wall, the barrier here. This is <laughs> a, another 2016 movie. So the recording we did earlier tonight was a 2016 movie. So um, oh, wow. there we go. How weird is that? Um, yeah, I, to be honest, Free Fire is the one that I imagine most people have seen but are not aware that is Ben Wheatley. If you know what I mean. This is mm-hmm. this is one that got oh, you. Yeah. Big cinema release, um, played relatively well, critically did surprisingly well, and you could see, out with the kind of nihilism that happens in the movie in terms of the results to the characters, this maybe <laughs> is the most unweekly movie yet uh, that we've discussed. This is the one where he feels like he's he's done his horror, he's kind of 70s cult horror stuff, he's done his 70s weird abstract comedy, He's done his uh, kind of 70s dystopian class culture retake, retelling sort of thing. And now we're doing his 70s crime caper comedy. So we're, yeah, the man yeah. has a love for the 70s. I love his love for the 70s. 70s. And Free Fire <laughs> is like, once again, it's stacked with names. It's like, regardless what this guy does, every movie he moves on to next has more established actors, bigger budget... Um and yeah, it's it's interesting to see that like the name behind this one. This is another one that I caught at a, a Q and A screening with him. And um, oh, nice! Yeah, <laughs> this was a great one to pick off because I, like there's so much going on. But one of his anecdotal stories here was how this movie was aided to the screen by the help of none other than Martin Scorsese, who was one of the producers on it. So, like, that, yeah. like, if you are Wheatley, as he was saying, and you fly out to do, like, a pitch meeting, and then you find yourself weirdly sitting down chatting with Martin Scorsese as a filmmaker, that must be daunting as fuck. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you know, you're sitting there with arguably one of the most important filmmakers of all time. Uh, and yep. then you're like, yeah, I want to make this kind of shooting comedy sort of thing. And he's like, he's like, all right, cool. You're like, yeah, it's it's going to be quirky and fun, uh, and 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 
Go and give me money, please. Um, but uh, weirdly, weirdly, I can see why someone like Scorsese would take an interest in this one. For sure, there are certain elements in here that feel like they're ebbing stuff that he has done in the past. But what kind of really captures me about FIFA is the fact that it once again, to me, and we're going to get into it when we start discussing the movie, this is once again a great example of how good a director Ben Wheatley is, regardless whether or not you're into the shift towards the comedy, which he has shown in his other movies, specifically Sightseers, or the, the kind of gun shoot him out action, which, right, this is his kind of first run at that. The choreography, the setup, the storyboarding, and the dialogue, particularly considering the screenplay is once again co-written by him and his partner Amy Jump, are all crisp. Like, really, 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 really crisp. And I think that's, once again, if you've got good writing, you've got good actors, and a good set out for how your production is going to go, very little can go wrong. And I think Wheatley is is surprisingly above average, if not, dare I say, pretty much an expert at by this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Right, Free Fire is the movie we're going to discuss. Um, I feel like we should just not do this and delay it a month so that way we don't have to tackle the inevitable final movie uh, which is is next month's episode and nothing will make me sadder than that. Before we get into it, it's probably worth saying we have one more movie to discuss. It's a TV movie um, and then we are technically done with this season. However... Uh, as a way to bring you back and keep me happy and obviously keep you happy uh, which is what I want to do we're going to come back for one more kind of wrap up episode so that'll arrive in your feeds in September and then we will be sitting down and we'll just be going back over and if you remember and if you don't you might want to jump back to that first episode at the very beginning of the series uh, I asked you to give me three words that you thought might describe Ben Wheatley uh, and his film output and what we'll do at that wrap up episode is we'll go back and examine those three words and see where they were applicable on what movies they were and on what movies they weren't and if anything surprised you about this run so that'll be the kind of close out of this one uh, Opera Omnia is worth saying will then be taking a one month break before returning with a brand new season and a brand new guest uh, and that, that makes me feel like I'm cheating on you so um, <laughs> not at all I, I'm a voyeur I'll be I'll be watching from the weeds just like yeah baby <laughs> uh, I've, I've went I've went down I've went down a, a, a slightly more bizarre route but still staying with a British actor and a podcaster that is kind of familiar with his stuff but I know for a fact is going to very much like yourself is going to find a lot to mine out of Wheatley's work so that'll be interesting and Excellent. more details of that will drop later on but I'm looking ahead to the future when I be, should be looking to the past namely the 70s <laughs> the IRA and some bad gun trading uh, let's let's get into this ladies and gents you're going to hear the trailer for Free Fire uh, when we return we're going to be kicking off on this son of a bitch we're going to be doing it right after this here he is thousand apologies hate it when people are tardy it's good to meet you boys thanks for coming out you didn't masturbate before you got here, did you? You what? <laughs> I told you I don't want to work with anybody who's carrying a loaded weapon. Fuck the small talk. Let's buy some guns, eh? You're on a different level now. The guy who represents this merchandise, his lawn is bigger than your whole fucking country. Justine. As gorgeous as ever. Well, you've uh... put on a bit of weight. Fuck off. Check out the merch. That's not what he ordered. Fuck, really? He ordered M16s, different weapon. I'm not running a fucking pizza delivery service. Keep your shit together. You want the weapons or you don't want the weapons? Oh, I've already got the fuck down! Here we go. <laughs> oh, now we're cooking! We'd like to leave with our money. Uh-huh. And I'm sure that you boys would like to leave with the weapons. <laughs> Go for the case. What? You're a bird. They're not going to shoot the bird. Ah! Shit, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, you little asshole. Ah. Ah. <laughs> Here we go. Look out for no one on the crowd tonight. I'm going to say it's done. I'll have my fun. I can chew 
bring a sniper? So that's what a fucking brain looks like. <gasps> Whoa, fuck! Hey, hey. Party Marte. Come on, man. Ah! It's a big I like your cardboard armor. Protection from infection. Shut. Fuck. It's a big Tell me who hired you right now. Yeah, it's a big It was... You distract him and I leave. What? What do you? You kill all of these motherfuckers and I leave. It's a people! You see my nice girl! We can't all be nice girls. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for Free Fire. This is directed by Ben Wheatley, co-written by Amy Jump and Ben Wheatley. The movie itself came out in 2016 and stars Enzio Clienti, Sam Riley, Michael Smiley, Brie Larson. That's right, Brie Larson. This is this landed right before she did. Is it Room? I think it's the movie she did. Yeah. Like, and yep. then it was all Oscars and all the rest. And she technically done this movie just before, but this came out after Room which is sweetly noted at the Q&A is the best thing to happen to you if you're a director, is before your movie comes <laughs> out, your, your, one of your actresses or actors lands like o- Oscar credibility and then your movie comes out. You just ride that train. <laughs> you can plaster all over your poster. Um, this has Cillian Murphy, Army Hammer, uh, Charlotte Copley, Babu Cleese, Noah Taylor, Jack Rayner, Mark Monero, Patrick Bergen, Sarah D, some other folks in here. Synopsis for this one is it's set in Boston in 1978. A meeting in a deserted warehouse between two gangs turns into a shootout and a game of survival. Now, Watson, we were chatting about this one beforehand and I, I'm going to go out here and say we're going to give you the content that you expect from both yourself and myself on Opera Omnia. But the headier notes are just not present in this movie. This is Wheatley having fun. This is Wheatley not trying yeah. to be like, look at the subtext, look at this hand, as I, you know, pick your pocket with this hand. Like, there's none of that. Like, there's no <laughs> occultism. There's no paganism. There's no full-out set class warfare or social commentary in that aspect. Out with the fact that he has picked an interesting time um, and an interesting part of the world involving a particular organisation who was having a whale of a time back in 1978 in the IRA. Um, This is a really... This is one of these kind of cat and mouse games, uh, but just with a lot of bullets. Uh, This, like you said, was your first time watching Free Fire. This is like my fourth time seeing this, I thought. Oh. During the (laughs) Q&A, I then took my buddy to see it when it came out, because I saw it like three months before it came out. Me and my buddy then went to see it, um, at the cinema and then I got it on Blu-ray and watched it then uh, and then watched it again a couple of nights ago in prep for this episode um, rather than going scene by scene which I sometimes find quite not tedious but I, I sometimes find is not the best format for an opera omnia uh, picking out some scenes here to to, to kind of generate conversation but at the first part kind of talking about the experience of watching Free Fire, did it shock you that it was maybe not the Wheatley you were expecting whilst at the same time kind of being the Wheatley you were expecting? You know what? Like I mentioned earlier, yeah, this this being a first-time watch for me, uh, you know, what it, it, it off the back of what you mentioned earlier right after I said that was if I hadn't known ahead of time that Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump were behind this movie... I wouldn't have guessed that they would go in this particular direction, mm. especially after High Rise. Yeah. Like up to that point in their filmography, their films could be characterized as being deliberately vague, often mysterious, definitely humorous at times. That that never leaves. And dark, of course, just dark all throughout. But with Free with Free Fire here, I mean, this marks a hard departure from their norm. I mean, here we have this fun 
Mexican standoff shoot 'em up movie done within the framework of a contained setting. And I think that's just bold as all get out, if you ask me. Because bare bones stories like this live and die by the strength of the direction yes. and by their performances that the cast deliver. And you know, I hope we'll talk about the cast in a bit, but just keeping to the story, lest I accidentally get into the weeds talking about <laughs> everybody here, you know, and I hope we do. But the plot is so straightforward mm-hmm. that it's almost alarming when you look at something like Kill List or A Field in England because both of these are elevated by Wheatley's penchant for not allowing the viewer to know key elements of the story. Meanwhile, Free Fire simply is what it is, and that's that. So diehard Wheatley fans, I guess we'll either find this upsetting or refreshing, and I gotta say, I found it refreshing. I, th- I thought it was... Just a blast, man. I mean, Duncan, obviously, you've, 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 you've been to screenings. You've seen it, I think you said, four times. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was your reaction when you first saw the movie? Were you more upset that you maybe weren't getting the Wheatley that you had you know, been acquainted with earlier? Or was this like a, hey, okay, I can't believe he's doing this. This is cool. Like, well, what do you think? I mean, part of, me's, like, part of me was a little dejected, but just a tiny part. Because, sure. interestingly enough, I, like... I kind of pitched my my love for Wheatley after Kill List, and I was like, wherever this guy goes, I will follow. Yeah. And it just so <laughs> happens that that road that he decided to travel was a fairly nihilistic um, road where you are like yep. just put in really uncomfortable situations and you just have to deal with it as a viewer uh, and be tested. He, he likes to test you as a viewer, and I, I, I like that aspect. But the big thing for Free Fire that kind of boggled my brain was how well it was received considering how sparse the plot actually is. This is a very, very, mm-hmm. very, very kind of basic, if if I'm being honest, a fairly pedestrian plot is a, a simple yeah, deal yeah. that goes wrong and a shootout. And what made me smile is that for for years I had been hearing people that love Free Fire um, talking about how amazing it is and all the rest tell me that they don't like Kill List because nothing happens in Kill List. Um, huh. Like narratively speaking, <laughs> like plot wise, it's just very bare bones and just it was a hitman doing things nice and a cult. And um, mm. and then I'm like, but Free Fire's just a a gun deal gone wrong, and that like no, yeah. no 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 like this character's <laughs> playing off against this one, and there's a weird little, and I'm like, right, but then you can say the same about sightseers with the you know the the power dynamic. No no sightseers is just a couple killing people, isn't it? Are you fucking kidding me? Like Free Fire, if anything, is 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 most bare bones, limited kind of plot based movie. It's his, it mm-hmm. really is his very, 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 very simple join the dots movie. Yeah, it's the one that finds like the the mask kind of credit and appeal. Now, I think once that kind of incredulity washed off me, I think where I started to understand where people were coming from. It's something you've kind of touched on just in your hand over at me. And it's the characters. There are loads of yes. characters in here. And to be honest, all of them are completely three-dimensional. They all have their quirks. And weirdly, for the most part, you're rooting for a lot of them, regardless what side they're on. And I find that <laughs> right? quite interesting. Like, there is no good side and bad side in this movie. You as the viewer are a spectator watching people who by affiliation are sadly in a position where they have to shoot off people where you kind of get the feeling that actually they probably do respect and or would be good friends with if not in this circumstance and there's something fun about that it's a dynamic that I find quite interesting and Wheatley really takes the time to experiment here and you can tell that during the script writing process there was probably a lot of fun about well you know this guy's going to act like this well doesn't that kind of well yeah that's why he should act like that because that doesn't make him indicative part of the the kind of Boston crew here it would make him more of an IRA sort of guy Uh, but we'll just give him those attitudes and we'll see where that goes I also think the the ballsy position to make such a strong female character and Justine played by Brie Larson um, mm-hmm. set against the background of primarily kind of strong male performers 
I think, works to this movie's credit like a million times over. I think she not only yeah. holds her own in this movie, but use her, uses her female wiles in a way which makes her arguably the most deadly character out a lot. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And I, re- I really, really like that because that's them playing with... I mean, you think about the, you think about the time period when this movie's set, 78, you're getting a shitload, not of run-of-the-mill white actresses playing roles like this, but you are getting a ton of black exploitation, a lot of Pam Greer kind of foxy brown sort of performances in or around when this movie's supposed to be set. So yeah, it kind of feels apt that we've got this kind of kick-ass, badass yeah. chick thrown into the mix here. And so yeah, so so an answer to your question, Watson, part of me did feel like, have we lost Wheatley? Is this him now mm-hmm. sucked Hollywood's deviled, bejeweled, bedazzled cock um, <laughs> and made this kind of fausty impact to now only make these big kind of soulless blockbusters. And then when I sat back and thought about it, I was like, well, actually, this is a movie which, in the, the best kind of aspects of the kind of shoot 'em up scene in Reservoir Dogs, kind of leaves you in a position where no one's really going to walk out this well. Um, yeah. Things are going to be gnarly. So this is actually a fun, quirky movie, which at its core is ultimately the self-destruction of a lot of characters by not being able to fucking talk something out. Like, they all reach for their guns where you get the feeling that if we sat down and spoke about this and fleshed out, chances are we'd walk out of here amicably, whilst maybe not liking each other. But because temper's free very, very quickly and guns are shooting off, we're all fucked. So (laughs) I kind of love that dynamic. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, You were talking about actors and actresses. Um, This has got, like, wall-to-wall great performances. This is, like, one of his... Once again, a testament to how great he is at casting. There's literally not a performance here that I don't love in this movie. Same, yeah. And the big one for me, and I mentioned this before, the one where I was like, is that Charlotte Copley? Because, obviously, if you watched uh, District 9, um, or, you know... Or, or have you ever seen District Nine? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure so you, yeah, so if you've seen District Nine, um, and specifically did that movie was it Hardcore, the kind of first person shoot 'em up movie? Shatter Copley is a guy who will do really kind of pain dramatic stuff, but also really quirky stuff. And him as Vernon in this movie is the the main comedic core. He's the thing that kind of drives the comedy through, and he is maybe the most. He was great. He's maybe the most out and out comedic performance in here. But he's surrounded by characters that play really well off that. So even like you're looking at someone like Sam Riley or Enzo Clienti who are playing maybe maybe more kind of straight roles in here. But as soon as they're interacting with Copley, their performance becomes comedic when it needs to be. I think Ar- Army Hammer as the kind of smug... You know, I'm an American. Look at me be American. <laughs> um, as, you know, like him, he's just naturally funny anyway because like Americans in these sorts of movies tend to have a bit, they've got the charm. You know, the the, the Brits have got the, the, the guns, but the American tends to be the charming one in these movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's always been that way. You watch any Bond movie and as soon as Felix Leiter's mentioned as a character, you're like, oh, here comes this smooth motherfucker. And James Bond's <laughs> on the screen. I'd like, like the, the casting of done that, that road is brilliant. I'd, like I say, Brie Larson, brilliant. Michael Smiley, great to see him back again. And another completely yes. different role from what you've seen him in previous movies, yet nonetheless entertaining all the way through. And uh, Cillian Murphy, who doesn't play the biggest role in this movie, considering his stature as an actor, but once again, brilliant. I mean, sitting down on this one, it it must be a joy to be a viewer watching a movie just given so many great performances. Kind of like High Rise. High Rise, I kind of felt like we were in mm-hmm. the, the, the embarrassment of riches on characters and actors were, were just evident. Like, everyone was pulling a blinder on this one and then you come to Free Fire and that just carries over. And you're like, this is brilliant. I'm having so much fun. 
Oh, absolutely, man. And I'll tell you, I will always, always, always be happy to see Michael Smiley in a Ben Wheatley film. He's part of the furniture at this point. I wouldn't have it any other way. And man, I'll tell you what, I found Army Hammer to be remarkably charismatic all throughout. (laughs) Like for the life of me, I can't understand how this gentleman is not an A-lister. Like he's he's handsome as hell. He can perform action and comedy well. I just don't get it. Like, I hope there's some role out there that does for him what, I guess, what what um, what was the one he did with Johnny Depp? The the the, the, the Lone Ranger didn't do yes. for him. You know, yeah. that maybe should have been the one yeah. that catapulted him into the stratosphere where he belongs, but it didn't. Poor guy's going through a divorce right now. Like, seriously, it was just, as I was researching this movie, it was just days old as of this recording that, mm-hmm. yeah, he and his wife of 10 years are splitting. It's like, ah, oh, man, I mean... You know, they're both being mature about it and asking for compassion and privacy. So that's rock and roll. High five, you know. I, he much mean, unlike Johnny and, Depp at the moment. Is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And so, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, but I like Army Hammer and, you know, Killian Murphy's always great. Loved him in every scene he was in. But I'll tell you what, Duncan, the big surprise for me was Jack Rayner, who folks will yes. most, yes. you know, most of you will know as Christian in last year's Midsommar. And buddy... I had no idea he was playing the character of Harry. Like I, Harry yeah, was yeah. just pissing me off. And but and I like Jack Rayner even the uh, little controversial hot take here even in Midsummer because I know what he's supposed to be. Yeah, and I think I have very, an alternate very take good. on him. Yeah, I'm with you 100 yes. percent. Now a lot of people are like you. this guy could be played by anyone. I'm like, no, he's deliberately no. playing the part, and it's it's, it's it's in the fucking movie, guys. Watch it. Yes, oh, and please. I'm telling you, yeah, Jack Rayner. And so yeah, when I was looking through the you know just the credits, uh, just in pr- preparation for just kind of putting together a couple bullet points for the cast here. I'm I'm scrolling through IMDb and just going, wait, Jack, who was Jack Rayner in this? I didn't even. And yeah, so he's the long haired, hairy character. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> basically him and the uh, the other character on the on the other side of things have beef. And that's what starts this whole thing in the first mm-hmm. place. But he was he was great. And so, yeah, I think next time I watch this. Yeah, I'll have a, a better time with that character knowing that's him. Yeah. And yeah, it just it, it was. And I got to go back to something you said about the. In these sort of British UK centric films where you have the charming American, you know what came to mind as you said that mm-hmm. was the devil rides out. We've got, you know, Christopher Lee being this freaking, you know, gangster who, you know, okay, well, I'll just throw up a spell and, and do this stuff. And <laughs> hey, I got to go study some shit over here. Hold on. Uh, hold down the fort while I go do this. And meanwhile, his homie, his American dude, he's just smooth and racing cars and being good looking it's just i'm just like hell yeah <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a weird like for for all james bond kind of set that template of the kind of suave british spy you tend to find yeah. in, in these sort of movies at this sort of time the, the brits tend to play bruisers and the yeah you know the americans tend to just be <laughs> and i think it's that is that i think in a lot of respects is how like British people at that time specifically saw Americans as, you know, like very, very classy, just, you know, look at this shining pillar of democracy and, uh, you know, and and all these things that we looked at and also a degree of arrogance, you know what I mean? Sure. Oh, absolutely. And I think (laughs) that's where Army Hammer fucking shines in this movie. Yes. The pure, unadulterated arrogance and self-assuredness of him makes him <laughs> a joy to watch and I'm with you on this one, I think he's a great actor nothing disheartened me as much as this weekend when um, and I know there are people that like this movie I sadly did not like it but I watched Wounds um, from last year Okay, and he is okay in it, the movie itself Oh, he okay, I haven't seen that oh. yet Is is so you, you weren't a big fan of it? It's a mess, it's a mess of a movie it, it, is, it is all over the place and I kind of felt sorry for him because I know what he can do because I've seen Free Fire and um, I'm watching him yes. in this movie do lines that just don't make sense, uh, act in a way which feels like cliche to the point of painful uh, and ah. then just you know, j- just a weird casting choice for that movie and when I watch Free Fire I'm like, oh he's perfectly cast I'm with you at the end of this one, I'm like why is this guy not like? Even if he wanted to transition to doing like full rom coms, I think he could fucking nail that if he wanted because he has a leading man look. I can imagine 
of women yeah, being. He could do he could do rom coms yeah. just as easily as he could do action heroes. Oh stuff, god, yeah, he's got you know? a physique about. He's he, I mean he's mm-hmm. about head and shoulders bigger than anyone else in this movie. He's a, <laughs> yeah, he he's is a, a tall motherfucker, <laughs> and I, I think that once again just adds to the the, the 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 degree of arrogance. He's the biggest guy in the room. He also thinks yep. he's the smartest guy in the room. But yeah, then he does. <laughs> he's about three or four characters in here who think. The, the smartest guy in the room. Um, like I say, looking back on, you can see why Brie Larson, you know, nails it with room uh, and it get, starts mm. getting all the, the the attention that she she got in that performance. And then further to that, why she's be, you know went off and become an absolute fucking powerhouse in the and the the Avengers stuff and she obviously she's yep. the Captain Marvel character and and you know why she's went off and done all that shit and become super huge there but it's it's kind of interesting to see her just prior to her really becoming this huge star yes doing a movie like this and I would like to think um that she would not be against coming back to like because Room was a small insular movie it wasn't a big movie um oh. I, but I got a ton of credit, and obviously she's now doing the, the 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 big blockbuster Disney, you know, Marvel shit, which pays well, mm-hmm. by the way, which pays, oh well, yeah, <laughs> which pays well. <laughs> so uh, I would like to think she offsets that by doing more performances like this because she is so mischievous in this movie. She is manipulating <laughs> from start to finish in a way which makes me hugely satisfied um it's probably worth saying as well we get the the continuation of ben wheatley's um kind of flirtations with taking uh popular songs and then kind of twisting them a little bit um in the previous movie we obviously discussed we had um sos by abba played as various different versions um, throughout that one. I think Portishead was one of the versions, and that was a joy yep. to behold. And then we we swing into this one here, and we're, we're, we're having fun with it because the, the radio keeps a playing and then kind of not playing. Uh, but like it's, like it's John Denver that's playing in this. this uh, <laughs> yep. And it's fucking brilliant. It's, it's, it works so much in contrast to what is happening in the scene that the there's that thing where they say if a bit of music's used in the correct context in a movie, it can link its way in such a way that will make you look at that song differently. So if you picture a song as being happy, and it's a very, very happy song, and lyrically you listen to it and it sounds full of ennui and happiness, and then you hear that music played over a tragic scene in a movie and maybe it's a recomposition of it. Same lyrics, but maybe instead of the major happy chords they're playing the minor sad chords. And then it's intrinsically linked that whenever you hear that song after that, you're now... Even if it's a happy version, you're thinking about the sad thing. Um, it's, it's, it's the the way I describe it is the it's the Johnny Cash Hurt syndrome, where that is yes, not sir. a happy song by any stretch of the imagination. It's about a guy who is you know looking back at the destruction he's caused himself. But when Trent Reznor sings it, there's a weird optimism at the end of the downward spiral because of all the torment and torture that you've went through on that one. And then you hear Johnny Cash sing it, and it is the saddest fucking thing you've ever heard. Um, (laughs) And and now I can't listen to the Nine Inch Inch Nails version without thinking about sad Johnny Cash, old looking back over his life and all the people he's hurt. Um, And it's kind of like that here. It's a fun use of John Denver, but if I ever listen to that song now, I'm thinking about a dead man driving a van. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's just intrinsically linked now. I, I love this playfulness in here. Now, when he was talking about how he set this up, that Ben Wheatley storyboarded every camera angle and every shootout sequence. And not only that, and this blew my fucking mind, um, they actively counted how many shots each character would have and track that through the scenes so no one would have that illusion of unlimited bullets that you get in movies. Nice. Now, See, I, Duncan, yeah. I, I heard some, uh, read some review where somebody was like, they're just firing bullets off with no mindfulness as to blah, blah. And I'm just like, I don't feel mm-hmm. like that's the case. I did feel like there was care taken 
in that. So it is great to hear you actually confirm that, man. Yeah. So during these Q&A, they spoke primarily about the fact that, you know, this is set in quote-unquote Boston. It's actually shot in Brighton in England, so just south of London. Yeah, yep. Uh, and this derelict building that he found. Uh, and he was like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna use this building for my quick... And then the quick turnaround, this was like a couple of weeks, and he met his actors beforehand and talked out, but one of the big points for him was to make this feel as real um, kind of firefight scene as possible. And the way he mm. would do that is actively make sure the characters actively tracked their bullets. And I think it's not maybe necessarily evident on the first watch, but when you watch it a second time, which I have, uh, and then a third time, which I have, and then a fourth time, by the way, which I also have. <laughs> yeah, it does. You start to notice, well, why is that character not... All right, now they're changing, they're reloading. The, the reloads feel in the correct place. The reason it feels like there's maybe so many bullets going over is for a firefight this is a very enclosed space and there's a lot of characters this is not what you would usually see in a gunfight you know what I mean it's usually maybe two or three people and then the other side has a lot of people or it's you know or maybe equal pegging um, with a couple of characters here and a couple of characters there it's never usually oh yeah one side has five the other side has five uh, and then we're going to start introducing some more characters and um I found that surprisingly goofy, but at the same time, really, really well done. Like the novelty of, well, you know, ricochets and someone's going to get shot and this firefight wouldn't last as long. Because that's maybe the big thing about Free Fire. Sure. Is you're five minutes into this, maybe tops, before you can start to see everything go pear-shaped. And then within another five minutes, you're locked into a firefight which runs primarily the length of this movie. So you're all you're over an hour of this tense standoff situation with guns, yeah. and I don't know how many movies can do that and keep your interest. Like there's there's diminishing returns the more bullets are fired. Um, yep. But the the they break up well with character interaction. You get the um, you get a bit of backstory on certain characters as well. Their relationships, some master plans, some Machiavellian master plans start to unfold. And that's where the interest comes from me. The gunfights are brilliant, yeah, and I can I can sit back and enjoy them. So all the character stuff that's really fucking well played here, and that's the bit that sucks me in, and that's the bit that Wheatley shines, like because he he understands that you need you can't have one without the other, um, and at times the words we fire at each other in a movie are as damaging or as helpful as the magazine of bullets passed across here, the gun you shoot. And I, I find that a wonderful little detail that he injects into not only this movie, yeah. but his career in general. Words have meaning in a, wheat, a Wheatley movie. And you should always pay attention to it. So do characters' interactions. Nothing's ever just blasey or kind of throw away. If someone's talking a particular way to a character, it usually means that we as the audience should anticipate a backstab or an ulterior motive. And that carries through to Free Fire. It's just more playful with it. Oh, yeah. So I enjoy well, that. Yeah, and, and, and to your point, buddy, it is, it is the character dynamics that elevate this movie above just a simple premise of, hey, a gun deal has gone wrong and now yeah. we're in a standoff. <laughs> it is those, because, and I love what you said, Duncan, so beautifully said, you know, they, they are firing these witticisms off at one another about as much as they're firing bullets. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the importance of words and the character sort of allegiances and where, where that goes here and there, especially when certain side characters show up. So you are on the money with that, my friend. Yeah, I think also what I like about it is that it does have a fairly Wheatley-esque ending. You oh, let, let's talk about that ending because, Duncan, I... I so... Okay, this conclusion of this movie. Let, can can are we free to go to that? Yes, you you set us up and give us the give okay. us the deets. Okay, so you know, well, here's what I my initial thoughts. Okay, so I found it bold and honestly <laughs> delightful and very Wheatley esque, as you're saying. Because I mean, listen, but here's the thing. Okay, I will go on record as saying that I almost hated it. So. Almost, but yep. l- let me let me come back around here. Let me let me let me flesh this out. So lately, I, Duncan, I've been honing in, and, and folks out there, 
on the cues that scripts give the viewers regarding which characters will survive and which won't. It's not a hard science by any means, but I've become rather keen to the subtle ways that scripts opt to have other characters' backs Mm -hmm. in favor of other characters. So in the scheme of stories where people are dropping like flies, you know, you can favor, sometimes you can favorably predict who is safe and who's more disposable. And so as we reach the final few minutes of the movie, as we watch while all but one of our characters is killed off, because folks, that's what happens. Everybody, everybody except for Brie Larson is, is killed off. And it's like, okay, that is bold as hell. But here's the thing. Here's why I almost hated it and then why I changed my tune. So I had this mixed reaction that was to, to the tune of, wow, you know, I can't believe they killed everybody off like this. What a surprise. But I knew the whole time Brie Larson's going to be safe no matter what. I knew she'd be the one to walk out of that place with the money. I just could not see any other way that the script would go except for her, you know, walking out of there with the money. You know, maybe it's because she's the only woman in the movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe because her character was sort of less involved directly in the violence. Whatever the case, I knew, with a capital, knew that she would survive. And when she did, I was let down that Wheatley and Jump went that route with it. But when the police pull up and you realize that her ending is no happier than any of the dead people lying in the dirt, I was cheering because they <laughs> swerved me. That This woman is going to prison for the rest of her life. So we get that dark Wheatley ending that we wanted, you know, that I think anybody who is familiar with Wheatley going into this and you're going, huh, okay, we're getting this this standoff movie, this gun thing, okay, all right, uh, you know, Wheatley and Jump, what do you, what do you guys, what are you two doing here? And then we get this ending like, oh, I okay, I was like, they're not killing Killian Murphy, oh, okay, oh, they killed him and everybody else, all right, well, yeah, I knew Larson was walking out of here, the only girl, that's so lame, come on, oh, she's getting, she's getting arrested and going to prison for the rest of her life, okay, that's dark. Wheatley, jump. I'm sorry for doubting you. Much love uh, from America. Uh, deuces. No, but yeah. So what What did you think of that ending, man? Because I felt it brought me into the Wheatley world that I was hoping for. Almost let me down and then swooped me up right before I hit the ground. It was like, come on. Did you ever think we were going to let you hit the ground? Come on. Let's go, Watson. <laughs> let's fly off into the air together. <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 a, he's a deliberately playful director uh, when it comes yeah. to these endings, um, it's safe to say. I, very much like yourself, early on kind of had this feeling that, you know, Brie Larson's probably going to survive this one. Um, but like yourself, I thought it was probably going to be with a, a Killian Murphy or some someone yeah. that she's managed to kind of use her feminine wiles on to get what she wants. And <laughs> the big reveal in this movie is that, you know, she's been playing, she was fully aware of everything that was happening. She's been kind of, oh, yeah. in a lot of respects, playing both sides against each other and towards the middle, the end goal being that she would get everyone bumped off and then walk out with the money. And... I saw it coming, and to be honest, I'd resigned myself to the fact that that was kind of going to be the ending, that she was going to survive or survive with someone, but mm-hmm. we would know that she was, you know, but, you know, just as manipulative, if not worse than any of the characters in there, and we would just have <laughs> to, we'd just have to deal with it. Um, and then let yourself, the sirens come in, and I thought, it reminded me in a lot of respects I mentioned Tarantino earlier on. It's difficult not to think of Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs when you think about this movie. Um, Reservoir Dogs mostly set in that kind of post, you know, botched bank job. We're having character interactions. We're jumping back a, a lot to cover the ground up to it. But, you know, there's one character in there that knows more than the other ones and is manipulating mm-hmm. everyone like that idea and how that movie ends i remember seeing that for the first time uh, way back in the day and just being like gobsmacked that someone would have the audacity to do an ending like that so you're just gonna <laughs> fucking kill everyone oh goody uh, thank you mr tarantino and the older i get the more i'm like no that's the ending we deserve and this is the ending we deserve as well it's that idea yep. where she once again she has the and it's well, it's a it's a play on the American thing as well. Again, about that, so assured, so ahead of the game. You know, so uh, not self righteous, but so the, the assurance that they have in their intellect um, and smugness that comes with that means, you know, of course she's going to think she's safe. 
And then yeah. she, is she, you know, like she genuinely thinks she's played a perfect game here. The worst thing she's got here is a bullet wound. And to be honest, yeah. it's not a fatal one. She's going to walk it off. Uh, you know what I mean? And the <laughs> fact that she doesn't feel all that torn up about how things have gone. She can brush it off. You don't know how much of it is played for the characters that have, you know, specifically the final character that dies off as a way to kind of let them dim. Uh, you know, in a way where she, she's still playing the game. So the thought of her getting out of this, you know, does raise the the the, the kind of blood pressure a little bit. But then those sirens yeah. come in, you're like that, right? There's there's only one or two ways she gets out of this. Um, one way is in a <laughs> in a body bag, or the other one's in a hefty prison sentence. And oh, I, yeah. I kind of smile at that because once again, for all her planning, all her scheming, all the devious stuff that she's done. Ultimately, she can't escape the inevitable actions that are, are in place here that the police are going to eventually get her. Uh, and it essentially has been all for naught. She doesn't walk away yep. with the, you know, the money. She is now wounded. <laughs> she's going to have to do prison time. And she's it's very difficult for her to claim to be innocent after the fucking carnage in the room. So I, I, I love that. I think it, I think it's wonderfully delightful. Yes. And um, it's, it's a nice tongue-in-cheek ending that, like you said, you, you kind of start to feel like maybe Wheatley is going a bit soft here. Uh, and then you get the ending, and you're like, nah, he's still punchy. He's still got it. He's still oh, yeah. got it. He's still <laughs> got it. I do. I, I really, really like that aspect about it. Um, to be honest with you, Watson, I've pretty much covered everything I want to in this one, so I'm happy to open the floor for any additional uh, discussion points you've got or anything that you just want to raise to the listeners regarding Free Fire before we bring it in. Oh, shoot. I mean, buddy, that we... I just wanted to make sure we talked about the the cast, mm-hmm. sort of initial thoughts and that ending. Uh, other than that, I have nothing pressing except to say that, you know, it's on American Netflix. I'm, I, you know, I can't speak for other regions because it's, it's you know, movie selection is so strange when you start dealing with these borders of ours <laughs> but it is on american netflix so any american listeners you can check this out and 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 please do because this is a this is a, this is a fun movie so if maybe you're you, you you like what wheatley can do but you're not trying to get as esoteric as a field in england or as dark as kill list or, or you know maybe straight up comedy as you know as, as um which one duncan what was hey <laughs> six years Sightseers. Yep. Then, then yeah. Then this this is going to be this is a good middle ground. It's 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 a lot of fun without playing it too safe. I mean, I, I'm hoping since this is a spoiler podcast, you've already seen it in preparation to hear our discussion here. Otherwise, you know that ending is going to be you know unfortunately ruined for you. But you know I, I will be visiting this again, Duncan. And I, I had a lot of fun with this one. It was just great to turn up my stereo and blast it and just watch it watch it all play out because it, it, again. The strength is these character dynamics and watching it all play out as guns and witticisms are being fired off right and left is just, you can't help but just have, pop some popcorn and have a good one with this. I, I can't see any other any other thing to say except for that this is, um, it's exactly that. You know, we're, we're, we're not, it's not a dramatic tale chock full of verisimilitude. Sure, you know, you might go, oh, okay, we got characters getting shot a lot and, you know, maybe there aren't. A lot. One one criticism I've seen leveled at the film a lot, Duncan, is that oh, you know, people seem to be getting shot, and the consequences, you know, are, are pretty low there. Sure, okay, you know, there is a scene where Jack Rayner and Brie Larson are just kind of casually shooting one another, and they kind of go their separate ways, like it barely mattered, and you're like, okay, but other than that, really, I mean, we we people, every everybody, in fact, not just people, but everybody dies off in the third act. So mm-hmm. if you do have that complaint, like these bullets don't have consequences, because that is something I have seen people complain about. Well, eventually they do. So if anything, that's a criticism that is only time sensitive before it stops. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of all I wanted to address, I guess, that for anybody who's going, yeah, but everybody's getting shot and it doesn't matter. Well, then it does. So just just wait it out and you're going to you're going to get that. those stakes suddenly spike and oh those got raised and now everybody's dead so (laughs) yeah it's good stuff uh you know airtight little movie man i i'm glad to hear because i didn't look into what critics thought of this i'm glad to hear that this was well received and because man wheatley i mean it's it's cool to see him doing what he does and you know i guess we'll be getting into our favorite wheatley film and 
mm-hmm. if this unseated anything. But yeah, I'm glad to see that he he and Amy Jump went this route and did it, man. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where I want my filmmakers to be making movies that interest them. And yes. Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump in particular seem to exist very much in a world where they only really write the sort of movies they would want to direct. And that, to me, means that if Wheatley feels like he wants to do something edgy, paganistic and horrific, he's going to do that. If he wants to have fun, I want to still see that. I want to still... He's a director I want to support. This is by no stretch of the imagination his best work, but that being said... um, Very much like if you were sitting down to have a satisfying three-course meal, right... And uh, Ben Wheatley was preparing your meal for you. Um, in between sitting down and enjoying a, an incredible starter and then onto your main and then your dessert, um, you need to be able to change up things. You would not want to sit down and have like a beef soup to start with, then steak as the main and then some sort of steak as a dessert. It's one flavour... <laughs> yeah. All the way through. And Ben Wheatley is not a one flavour guy. Um, nope. He's he, he's taken us from the very first movie we saw, Down Terrace, into this kind of top family kind of crime drama through, you know, uh, occult practices and hitmen and kill lists through deeply black comedy and, and, and serial killing and sightseers through the weird, trippy, transcendial, you know, Civil War era field in England into kind of political and social class systems through the mechanism of a high-rise building into this, which is basically a gun deal gone wrong and the consequences of a firefight. And I think yeah. all of those things add an extra, an extra flavour to, to, to the weird palette that is Ben Wheatley and all of them work together but none of them are kind of the same and that's where Free Fire exists for me it is of all his movies the most easily accessible Ben Wheatley yep. movie because you do, like you say you don't have to think with this one this one is he sit down crank the volume up sit back watch great performers have fun trying to kill each other with guns I mean every now and again I I like a movie like that. <laughs> like, I love dissecting stuff, oh, yeah. and I love getting into the nitty gritty and subtext and consequence and whatnot. But every now and again, I just want to see people get shot. Um, and Free Fire gives me that. So I'm a happy guy, happy, happy guy. Yes, sir. Uh, right. Um, you know my question. I think we're both on the same page with this one. Mm-hmm. But as it currently stands, ruling the roost, the Connor McLeod of the season, so to speak, <laughs> uh, is our buddy Kill List. Uh, has Free Fire done enough to topple that um, and take the throne being the only one? Um, or is Kill List still the top of your list? I mean, look, man, th- this movie is a blast. Guns, blood, swearing, wit to go around, all of that. But, man, Kill List remains on the throne as my favorite Wheatley film. And it- it- indeed, it is the Conor McGregor of his of his career, man. It- it's just... Yeah, it's great, and it, it doesn't it doesn't speak anything, you know, say anything bad about uh, our homie Free Fire here. It's just it's it's it, it is what it is, and man, I, it, that that was a fun watch as well. And I'm glad that we we had this discussion that we were able to talk about it. But man, Kill List reigns supreme. Yep, echo everything you say. And it, to be honest, I mean that feels right. and knowing our backgrounds uh, and our our loves and our interests (laughs) that feels doubly right Um, so that was Free Fire ladies and gents we have one more movie in the series to discuss and this one is a change of pace a change of budget this was done very surprisingly cheap in comparison to Free Fire and not a gun in sight Um, the last movie we were discussing is Happy New Year Colin Burnstead um, this one purely written by Ben Wheatley, so no input from Amy Jump, uh, and oh. directed by Ben Wheatley. And if anything, this kind of takes us back to the sensibilities of the opening movie Dim Terrace. There's a weird bookend 
to his career thus far and you will see what I mean because this is all one family in you know one location and shit's gonna start to spiral out. This has a great cast, great British cast here um, of Neil Maskell, uh, you will recognise Bill Parson, great uh, Scottish actor, uh, Richard Glover who appeared in a couple of the Wheatley's previous movies, no Michael Smiley I'm afraid to say, but Aww. Charles Dance is in this one uh, and Charles Dance makes me, like Charles Dance like is is a performance you're not going to expect, and I can't wait to talk about it next month. All right. <laughs> Hell fucking, yeah. Fucking <laughs> amazing. Um, uh, to tease the listeners, the, the, the plot synopsis is, Colin hires a lavish country manor for his extended family to celebrate New Year. Unfortunately for Colin, his position of power in the family is under serious threat from the arrival of his estranged brother, David. Um... Ooh. I will keep David's acting uh, a little surprise. Won't give you that one, but yeah, this one is a okay. this one is a dark comedy, a family drama. It is a ton of fun. Very much looking forward to getting her into this. And uh, I'll say it again: sad that it's the last movie in the series. So uh, we have one more to go, buddy. We will be bringing it to the peeps next oh, yeah. month. Before we get to that, as always, you have phenomenal stuff that people should be listening to and if they're not then they are bad people and I hate them for <laughs> yeah. it uh, where can they check out the, the multitude of awesome that you do well of course you can find you know me here with, with Duncan doing opera Omnia and if you want to hear me elsewhere I pop up from time to time on the horror cast where it's all killer no filler stay scared I they, they have their Rotten Roundtable episodes, and I can't make those, but they have their main episodes where they get into the, you know, in, into the film discussions, and I pop up every now and then on those as a sort of uh, a member of the ensemble cast, as it were. But my main show is my podcast, The Watt Z Party Horror Show. I host that bad boy with my good buddy Dave Z. I'm the Watt, he's the Z, and we have a horror show that is split into three acts, for all y'all party peeps out there, in Act 1, we go over a list of the month's horror movie releases. In Act 2, we tackle a horror-related topic of discussion. And then in our third act, we provide an in-depth review and analysis of a horror film of our choosing. And right now, and basically just as I said when we did Ravager <laughs> earlier <laughs> earlier today, I, you know, I'm nailing down the final edits on our episode that highlights Lars von Trier's Antichrist 2009. And man, that, that is turning into a, a, a just a fantastic episode. And I, I promise you, if you folks get value from what Duncan is doing under the stairs and here with the Teaputs Collective, if you just love, as I do, his approach to film and just his how he takes a, you know, he, 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 he brings horror up to him in that lofty way that I respect him endlessly for. And we attempt to do the same thing with the Watsy Party Horror Show. So throw on that, you know, your podcasting app of, you know, whatever it may be. Type in W-A-T-Z-E-E. You'll find us. We're the only thing that's going to come up when you do that. and Or at least the th only thing called the Watt Z Party Horror Show anyway. And so, yes, that's that's the name of the show. And Duncan, my friend, whoo, here we are, episode six of Opera Omnia. And once again, the pleasure is all mine. <laughs> I won't even let you have any. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, check out Watson's stuff. I, I'll tell you right now, you are rewarded tenfold every time you put on an episode oh, thank of, you but specifically what's the you guys just every episode is just a pure delight um and he will be appearing for those that transition over to podcasts under the stairs um not only will we have an episode out this week with me doing a phantasm ravenger as part of the phantasm russian roulette closing out that series with style uh, but he's also going to be appearing on two of the summer series episodes as well which were both a ton of fun to record so um, oh. make sure you check them out as well oh, Watson we've done the good lord's work here and brought the people what <laughs> they needed nay what they desired and with that yes. I think it's time for us to say goodbye so would you like to say goodbye to the listeners please listeners take care of yourself out there love everything that's happening on this show for me yes thank you for checking out another opera omnia we'll be back in one month's time but until then take care bye everyone <laughs>